and we'll jump in. Father, thanks for the joy of being together and a chance to open your word and, and to think about how we can care for your people well and avoid some of the mistakes that um, are common as we're learning a new skill. And so we pray for your mercy, uh, guide us and, and direct us now in Jesus' name, amen. Um, hey, I just want to let you know that my favorite father-in-law is running the the electronic soundboard video gear last night, so thank you, favorite father-in-law. I, I, I only have one wife, so I guess that's my only father-in-law too, but anyway, grateful for him. And, and uh, not just Rich, but all the tech guys um, behind the curtain, there's all sorts of tech going on to make this happen, and they do their jobs with excellence and faithfulness, and 99.999% of the time, you have no idea they're there. You know, it's like an airline pilot. You don't even know they're there, and unless there's turbulence or something like that, right? So, all right. Um, common mistakes of rookie counselors. So the subtitle is All the Things Pastor Keith Did Wrong When He Was Learning How to Counsel. Um, I have the privilege of working with counseling students every week. I work with students that are uh, brand new, that are coming out of training programs like this. Uh, I work with um, master's degree students. I work with doctoral students, and so I've got a wide breadth of guys that are learning counseling at all levels, and part of this material really comes out of um, just the privilege of getting to work with hundreds of students, really, over the years, and um, getting to see trends. I remember when I was growing up, my my dad was a baseball player. Uh, He played for Cal State Fullerton, so he's a pretty good baseball player, played in college, and uh, if he hadn't met my mom, he might have gone on into the pros, maybe, uh, I'm glad he met my mom, but um, but I remember uh, Dad. I mean, I, I, my brother and I were, were really really young, and and he'd get us out there in the yard, and we get the bat out, get the glove out, and I can I can still hear my dad saying things like, you know, no, choke up on the bat, no no no, swing like this, keep put your feet here, you know, keep your eye on the ball, you know, it's just just this coaching, this constant coaching. You know, I, I'm out there in diapers, you know, and he's coaching right to do that, and and I just I just grew up, and I didn't know anything else other than baseball. And, um, but, but that, that sort of coaching mentality is very similar to how I think of training counselors today. And, and just like my dad, as he was training us and other coaches that I had in other sports, a coach knows because of their experience, uh, the common tendencies that new athletes are likely to make. You know, I was a baseball player. So the first time I picked up a golf club, I can still, I can still remember my golf coach yelling at me, Palmer, you must be a baseball player, you know, cause I was swinging it like a baseball player. And uh, so what we want to do when we think about counseling and counseling training is to try to avoid some of those common mistakes that, that, that people make when they're new at a skill. And uh, many of you are already certified. Many of you have already been through all of our tracks here. So some of these things you're going to recognize. Um, but I'll tell you what, I, I need this material too because just because you know what not to do doesn't mean you don't fall into it sometimes. So, uh, so let's jump in and start, first of all, just about some first session blunders. Um, one of my mentors was Randy Patton, and Randy was always telling us that uh, how you start a case often sets the table, sets the tone for how you're going to maintain it. So uh, what are some first session blunders here, uh, things that I see? Uh, a couple of things here. Um, no paperwork. Uh, I was just working with a student this last week, and I was reading his case report, and session one, what would you do? I, went, uh, I had him fill out the PDI, the Personal Data Inventory Intake Form. And I'm thinking, why would you wait to the first session to do that? Now, sometimes if it's an emergency scenario and, and you're just you're showing up to hell, okay, that's okay. But if it's something that you know is going to happen, uh, having that paperwork ahead of time is really valuable. And, and why is that valuable, would you think, to have it ahead of time? You can prepare. 
Yeah. Do you like surprises in counseling? Do you like to walk in going, I have no idea what I'm going to right? Or do you like, Hey, I kind of know what I'm getting myself into. I kind of know what their background is and then I can plan accordingly. So that's a good thing. Uh, data gathering. Um, we'll, we'll have a whole uh, slide about this in a minute. Um, but, uh, uh, sometimes data gathering is, um, minimized. Um, what I see, especially in a program like this or in with my uh, master's degree students is they are so eager to help people. I mean, they just, their their heads are full of Bible knowledge and here comes this unsuspecting counselee into the room and it's like, I'm just ready to, you know, I was, I was going to say vomit Bible verses. That's not a good picture. But you know, they're, they're just, they're ready to explode and uh, they're so eager to help and that's a good impulse, right? It's a good impulse, but not, we don't want to give an answer before we've heard. Uh, spiritual evaluation is really important. Um, again, I, I, uh, I was doing some grading of the ACBC counseling exam, and we asked a question, what are you supposed to do in the first session? And, and I was reading an answer, and they said nothing about, hey, let's figure out if this person is a Christian or not, because that's really, really kind of important in terms of the direction you're going to go. So making that initial evaluation. And then giving gospel-centered hope from a specific text. Hope is one of the needs of the first session. You know that. And uh, we want to give people biblical hope uh, based on a text of Scripture. Now, why do you need two texts of Scripture to do that? Buckshot, and you just throw out the verses, see which one sticks, right? Yeah, yeah variety, okay. Okay, so maybe context. I like that. Okay, think think about spiritual evaluation. Okay, so if I have a, a unbelieving counselee, I need to minister hope to them from a text that is uniquely evangelistic, right? Versus if I have a Christian counselee, I might choose a different text that's more applicable to their situation, but assumes that they're a Christian. So you need two texts. You need one for the potential believer, one for the potential unbeliever. And what you don't want to do is pick a text that's unique to Christians, and then you find out your counselee is probably not a Christian, and then you're like, I'm stuck, what am I going to do, right? So you, you need a text for Christians, you need a text for non-Christians. Uh, that goes into our, our next point there, giving Christian-specific promises to an unbeliever. You can't do that. And uh, this is where you have to be discerning in terms of where your counselee is. And then it's also good to get a verbal commitment to do the homework, uh, you've seen that in the Randy Patton video. He explains homework and then he says, you know, can I count on you to do this homework completely and fully? Bring it back next time. We'll discuss it. Right. And uh, it's funny. Um, you don't if you don't do that. And when they come back and haven't done their homework, uh, well, well, now you have to have that conversation. It's a little more awkward. If you've asked them to commit to it already and they don't do their homework, then it's like, hey, man, you know what happened? You, t- you told me you were going to do this and you didn't. And that's actually a better conversation to have than having to have the initial visit right then and there. So, Okay, so we want to try to get out of the starting block uh, on, uh, on a good foot there. And uh, those are some things to watch out for. Uh, and then, of course, if you're going to do a good first session, that assumes that you're going to do some proper preparation. Uh, my wife and I, when we were school teachers years ago, our principal used to say, proper planning prevents poor performance. And he just preached that to us over and over and over. So that's true with a lot of things, including counseling. So uh, one of the first things you want to think about is your counseling goals. And uh, has this ever happened to you? You're into your session. You've got verses. You've got resources. You've got homework assignments. 
and uh, you're talking to this person, right? And, and, and you have this little voice in the back of your head that goes, what on earth are you doing? Like, what, just what are you doing, right? Because you're, you're so caught up in the details, you don't know where you're going, you don't know what you're doing to get there. You're just, you're, you're, you're saturated in the mechanics of counseling, and you forget what the destination of counseling is. You, you had that moment yet? You will, if you haven't, so it's coming. Having a clear goal, and sometimes it's helpful to just write it out. My goal in this session is... And then if you really want some accountability, tell your counselee, my goal for you in this session is, and then that way when you're getting off track, the counselee's like, I thought we were going over here, right? So have a direction that you're going, have a destination that you're aiming for. Um, And one way that you're going to stay on track is to try to have homework and teaching that works in concert. What do you mean by that? Homework and teaching that works in concert. Homework does two things. It reinforces what you talked about in the previous session and it prepares for the next session. You got it? So it reinforces what you did in the previous session. It prepares for what you're doing in the next session. So I'll give you an example. Let's say that, um, let's say that you were discussing Philippians chapter four. Uh, your counselee is struggling with anxiety and so you're talking about, um, uh, be anxious for nothing, right? Put off anxiety. Uh, replace it with thankful prayer and then uh, renew your mind by thinking on these things, Philippians 4, 8, right? So, so you've discussed that in the session and uh, it, it went well. And so what, you'd want to, what would you want to do in homework to reinforce that? What would you want to do? Yeah, maybe have them memorize it. Yeah, that's a good idea. Okay, maybe they're reading the, the broader section, just reading it to get some context. Maybe write prayers. Yeah, yeah, application is huge, right? So if it's saying uh, put off anxiety, replace it with thankful prayer, I would want to put something in the homework that said, when you're anxious, stop, confess it as sin, and right then and there, replace it with thankful prayer. Uh, stop and pray to God specifically with thankfulness to him uh, for what's going on. In the scenario, so so you're facilitating. Homework is about facilitating sanctification. So be thinking, what can I do uh, to do that? And, and where a lot of counselors fall short is they, they are speaking of the buckshot. We're, we're just we're just sort of shotgunning the homework, and and we're having them do good things, but there's not precision. There's not that rifle-like precision that says, I want you to read this memorize this, apply this, because that's what's actually going to get you moving in the change process. So being really specific like that is important. So that would be one way to reinforce. Let's say you planned to uh, move into Matthew chapter 6 in the next session with them. You're going to continue the discussion about anxiety in Matthew 6. So maybe a part of your homework would be read through Matthew chapter 6 at least three times the next week and write down what you learn. Uh, Jesus says about worry and anxiety. And then that prepares them then for the discussion you're going to have in the section. And you see, those two things go together. One is reinforcing, one is preparing. So skilled counselors know how to let that homework do both. Okay, and again, uh, experience is going to help you with that, but but think about that, try to do that. Um, Having a planned tentative agenda, having planned tentative homework. uh, (laughs) I was talking to a student this last week. And I looked at the homework, and, and normally this student does, does really well in homework. 
And I looked at the homework and went, what, what happened? I mean, they, they just, they just did not do good homework. And so I'm reading the case report. I'm talking to them on the phone and they're like, oh yeah, something came up in the counseling session and I had to divert. And we ended up talking about this other thing. And so uh, the homework that I had planned, I couldn't give them because the session went a different direction. So I, I just came up with something and threw it down. And I said, you know, I mean, that's not, I mean, usually your homework's really good and that wasn't as good as, and he's like, I know, I know, I know. I said, why didn't you just like spend some time later that afternoon, come up with a good homework assignment and email them or text them the homework assignment later that night? And he literally said, I can do that. I'm like, <laughs> like, I'm like I, I, there's no chapter and verse that says you have to give them the homework like in the session or you're a horrible counselor. So it, sometimes it's just going, you have the freedom to do that. Um, don't, don't, don't punt and, and throw out some, you know, homework that's not going to be very good. If, if the homework takes a turn, then give yourself the time to study it and put a thoughtful homework assignment together and then send it to him that night. Just tell him, just say, Hey, I, I need a few more minutes to figure this out. I'll send it to you tonight. And then remember to send them to it. Uh, remember to send them the, the material that night, but having planned a, planned agendas and homework is necessary. Um, studying scripture texts and specific application. Uh, most of my students are pretty well prepared when it comes to scripture, right? They've been well trained. You've come here. You're going to a great program like the Masters University or somewhere like that. And, uh, and students are doing well with studying scripture texts and teaching them. Where I see weakness consistently is in application. Okay? If you've got 15 minutes to open up the word of God and share a passage to them. Don't take all 15 minutes doing your little expository devotion. Don't do that. Spend seven and a half minutes explaining to them what the text says and interacting with with them about it. Spend the other half, the other seven and a half minutes talking about application. Um, Application, guys. Application is the, the glory of biblical counseling. If all you're doing is sharing biblical truth with them, as amazing as that is, they can get that from a podcast, they can get that from their pastor preaching on Sunday morning, they can get it from their Sunday school teacher, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, that that we're, we're all fans of expositional teaching, right? The difference is you have an opportunity with an actual person who you've gotten to know really well, and... um because of that, you're able to help them apply that truth in very specific ways that is actually going to help them to change. So don't, don't shortchange yourself on that. Don't, don't undercut your own agenda by not allocating significant time. You should be spending, and you, you tell me if others may agree, disagree with me, I think you need to spend just, a mu- just as much time on application as on teaching them scripture. Because that's where they need help. Trust me, that's where they're going to need help. They, they're like, I know this is relevant, I just don't know what to do with it. And that's where you and I are, are skilled to be able to help them to do that. And then um, talk to other counselors about that. One of my favorite ways to learn how to do application better is to talk to other counselors. So uh, find some friends and, and talk about how you do it. And then personal preparation. Um, I hope that uh, we all remember that we can only counsel as well as we are spiritually prepared to do so. And uh, it is so easy, guys, especially when you get a little bit comfortable with counseling, to just waltz in unprepared. You know, you you haven't prayed for your counselee. You you haven't been in the Word yourself. Um, You're just kind of flying on autopilot at that point. And that's dangerous. It's dangerous, especially when um, 
it, it becomes something that doesn't bother you. So just stay on top of that and, and remember that proper planning prevents poor performance, especially in your personal devotion. Okay? So preparation is the key there. Next, data gathering. Data gathering. Sometimes we see challenges in data gathering when it comes to biblical counseling. Proverbs 18:13. good night. This is the first verse you all memorized, right? In biblical counseling training. How does it go, class? He who gives an answer before he hears it is folly and shame to him, right? Remember Randy Patton. I don't, I don't want to be a bad counselor and you don't want bad advice, right? Right, that's, that's true. So um, how do we do this? Um, in a typical first session, you're looking for a relevant life history and you're trying to make that spiritual evaluation. You want to get an idea of their current situation and the counseling problems. And, uh, and then, you know, here we are, right? We're talking about shotgun versus rifle. When we think about data gathering, shotgun questions are designed to spread out, right? You're trying to find a little bit of information about lots of areas. Shotgun questions are when you're like, oh, okay, I need to get more information about this one specific area. You put down your shotgun, you pick up your rifle, and then you start asking really pointed questions in that era, area. Um, what do you do when you have... Um, <laughs> What do you do when you have a counselee who just doesn't want to talk? Real shy, real nervous, and you're trying to draw out their life history and, and you feel like you're just, you know, you're, you're, you're the dentist pulling teeth, right? What do you do then? Pray. You pray? Yeah, for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe you can break the ice, you know, uh, ask them about something they are interested in or, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, you can do that. Yeah, give them something to take home. Yeah, sometimes people that are more nervous in person do better with a writing assignment. So give them a writing assignment. If they have a particularly complicated story, you're looking at the PDI going, I can't even figure out who all the players are, let alone, right? You've had those before. Uh, ask them to write out their life story, limit it to one page, and, uh, and have them give you, give you the flyover of it all. And sometimes a written account is so much easier. And think about how much time you spend. I was talking to one guy, and um, you know he's like session three or four, still trying to get the story. And it's like, well, that's good. I'm glad you're being diligent. But a written assignment would have allowed you to do that in one session. You read the written assignment, and now you've got all the relevant data. You've saved all that time with them, that valuable time in the session. And you've saved all that through the wise use of a written assignment. Um, we'll talk in a minute. What do, you, what do you do with the opposite, the talkative counselee? We'll talk about that in a little bit. Okay. Um, so relevant life history, spiritual evaluation. Um, and then you, you see my, my hanging number five there. Um, that wasn't because I was lazy and forgot to delete the number. It's to always remind you and me that there's more data to be gathered. There's always more data. Don't, don't think that, uh, okay, I did the first session and I got the lay of the land and I'm off. There's always more to learn. You never stop gathering data in that regard. Okay, let's talk about clock management here. Um, and uh, my picture's a little bit dated there. Um, I'm, I'm sitting on the couch. It's a true story. Uh, last week, I'm sitting on the couch uh, wa uh, watching football with the football expert in my family, my wife. And it's true, she, she used to sit, she grew up with, with dad, and um, 
That was her thing to do with dad was watch football together. And dad trained her, right? This literally happened two nights ago. I'm sitting there and uh, it was Thursday night. It was Thursday night football. And uh, my wife says, um, oh, that's Trevor Lawrence. He played for Clemson. I'm like, what? He did, you know, and, and she's like, oh yeah. And then the, the receiver there, he played for, they, they played at Clemson together. I'm like, okay, sweetheart, I'll take your word for it. I'm just watching the game. So, um, so, so we're sitting there listening to this, uh, a pro game a week ago. And I'm like, who is that? Who's that talking? And finally they cut to the, the commentator booth. It's Jason Garrett. I'm like, oh, I guess he's doing that now. Okay. So I'm a little behind. But anyway, so session management issues, just like in football, clock management, is very important. Management of the game is very important. So here's some places where we can get into trouble. Allowing the counselee to run the session. There are some counselees that if you let them run the session, they will. There are some counselees that come in, and again, we're, we're not we're not bad-mouthing and we're not being critical. They're nervous. They're eager to talk. We're grateful for that. Um, but uh, we have to somehow maintain control of the session. Now, if you don't, if you don't do that, especially in the first session, you end up setting a precedent that's going to hurt you for the rest of the counseling ministry. You don't want to set precedent. It's like, um, it's like when you drop your grandkids off, your, your, or your kids off at their grandparents' house. You ever done this? I feel like I'm all these illustrations that circle back to grandparents. My <laughs> father, you you picked the wrong day to be here. Yeah, so so our kids are are you know teenagers and beyond now. So, but when they were younger, we drop them off at grandma and grandpa's house and we go away for the weekend or whatever. And uh, and and you come back and it's like, good night. What did you do to these kids? What happened? You know and and uh, uh, they and it's like okay, well they've been eating sugar all weekend. They've not had any rules. So, so back in those days, the, the joke between Lisa and I would, they would come home from grandparents' houses. We called it detox and boot camp, right? Where you just, you, you know, you detox them from whatever sugar they've been on all weekend. And then boot camp is like, we have rules and let's get back there. Um, and that's the problem is you set a precedent and then you've got to fix it down the road. And that's a problem. So what well, better strategy is start the session well from the beginning. And um, sometimes, and, and some of you are going to be uncomfortable with this. You have to learn the art of gracious interrupting because you're like, how was your day? And, and before you finish the word day, you know, they're, they're 30 minutes into how their day was. And, and you know what? We're grateful for that. One of the ways we love people is by caring about them and listening, right? So, so it, and it may be guys, it may be that the reason your counselee is like that is you're the first person that's cared enough to sit down and just listen to them. Okay. So we're not, we're not being critical of that. We recognize that. That's the way we love people. But we have to balance that with setting a precedent that ends up undermining counseling progress. So be careful with that. Don't let them run the session. Um, if you find that you have a particular, particularly talkative counselee and you ask them how their day is and that's going to be a 20-minute conversation, um, don't ask them how their day was. <laughs> don't do that. You can say things like, um, uh, did you complete the homework? Um, what did you have for breakfast this morning? You know, you're closed questions, right? You just you don't don't open end the question. Closed question, and now sometimes you'll ask them a closed question, and they'll take it as an open question, and they'll tell you anyway. But uh, anyway, so you you can help yourself just by simply being careful what you ask and what you don't ask. And uh, you know, some people it's like oh, I'm dragging everything out. Other people it's like no, stop. I, I don't need more information about all that. Uh, clock management. Uh, one thing I do. Um, 
to try to stay on the clock is when I'm setting my agenda and I've got my agenda notes in front of me. I, I do it on my iPad now, but uh, however you do it, just write in the margin five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And then that way, as you're going through your notes and counseling, um, and then what you need is you need a, well, I'll use my phone as an example. On my desk, I have a little clock and it sits right here. Why do you think it's there? Because I'm, I'm doing my counseling and then I can do this. You know, I can look. And then that way I'm look, I'm watching the clock, I'm looking at my notes and, and then I'm managing accordingly and I'm, I'm adjusting the, adjusting the pace of things based on that. So help yourself with that. Uh, in our counseling rooms in the church next door, we have a clock right on the back wall behind the counselees and that's on purpose. So that it's very easy for <laughs> you and I as the counselor to look and see, okay, I gotta speed things up here. Um, so, uh, so do that, help yourself, put the time and notes, have a desk clock, try to stay on point there. One of the major things I see that beginning counseling students do is they try to do too much in one session. You know, they, they've gone to, they've gone to the CBCD conference. They've taken track one, track two, track three, track three, track three again, you know, uh, and, and we're grateful for that, right? And they've read books and they've passed exams. And again, they, they've got a head full of biblical truth and they're like, okay, the PDI says anxiety. We're going to cover these 19 verses today on what the Bible says about worry and fear and anxiety today. And they do. And they, I'm looking at their gender going, they have 19 verses. I can't read 19 verses in, in one session, let alone to do that. So my rule of thumb, especially when you're beginning counseling, is pick one text. Pick one text. Explain it in its context. Give some background. Have your counselee read it. Draw out those truths. Explain differences. Explain parts of the verse that might be uh, difficult to understand. Pull out the principles. And then, like I said, use the rest of your time helping them to apply what they're reading and what you've just talked about to their unique situation. Um, and, uh, and trust me, you, you, you're not going to be able to do more than one verse if you're doing that right. Maybe two verses if they're particularly short verses. So help yourself by doing that. And uh, so, so here's what happens. And, and actually, those of us that preach and teach, there's a tendency to do this too, is you, you have this little bit of fear that says, I'm going to run out of material and I'm going to have more time. Well, if you know our church, um, <laughs> we have the opposite problem here most of the time when it comes to my Sunday school class or things like that. But um, so, yeah, don't, don't, don't have that fear. Just pick, pick the best text for your situation, prepare it, have an outline, and then teach it and draw in application and um, one of the phrases I tell my students is just learn to ride the brake in counseling. Uh, ride the brake, meaning don't go too fast. Don't, don't try to blow through things. Um, your goal is to minister the word, not be a theological Pez dispenser that fires Bible verses out on people. Okay, that's true. A lot, a lot of counselors do that. Uh, next thing, moving on too soon. I was just meeting with a student uh, two days ago, a brand new student, one of my master's degree students, and, um, and I'm, I'm, he's done a few sessions and I'm sort of new as his supervisor. There's some reasons for that. So I'm reading over his case history and I'm like, you know, he talked about anxiety. He talked about fear. He talked about roles. He talked about this, that, and in the last like handful of sessions, he's covered like six topics. So I asked him, I said, what, what, what topics have you, um, you know, successfully covered in your counseling ministry? Cause this is my, really my first meeting with him. 
And he's like, oh, wow, um, you know, I've covered a lot. And he starts listing all these things. And I said, so, so are you telling me that, like anxiety was one of them. So are you telling me that your counselee who was struggling with anxiety because of your ministry of the word to him, God's grace working through that, that he is regularly walking in thankful prayer and contentedness and, and he's turning away from his, his anxiety. That, that's the regular pattern. Dead silence on the phone. And he's like, uh, well, no. And I said, so what do you mean you've covered the topic? And what I came to understand was when I used the, you know, cover the topic to him, that meant we discussed it with a Bible verse. See, he was thinking of counseling like a Sunday school class, right? We talked about a text related to that topic, and then we moved on to another text related to another topic. And, and that was a great moment to just say, you know, well, good job, first of all, in, in educating, but our goal is not to educate. Our goal is to facilitate sanctification, and, and you haven't covered a topic until your counselee is a doer of the word and not just a hearer or a learner of the word, Right? And so he was, he was six miles down the road in topics, but he actually hadn't helped his counselee with any of those actual topics in terms of life change. So don't move on too soon, right? Second Corinthians 3.18 says that we progress in sanctification from glory to glory, from one um, uh, growth point to the next. And therefore, we don't want to move on too soon. I just encourage you to do this. Don't move on to another topic until your counselee is being a consistent doer of the word in the current topic. And uh, that's, that's one of the problems with using a book or a booklet as your outline, is you might say, we're going to do one chapter a week in, in Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. Okay, that's awesome. I love Jerry Bridges. I love that book. But if you let the book set the agenda instead of letting progress make set your agenda, you might be doing one chapter a week, and he hasn't begun remotely to apply chapter one yet, and you're on chapter five. So if you, if you get to the next session and he's still stuck on applying chapter one, don't go on to chapter two. Review chapter one again. Bring some other verses in to reinforce it. Prop it up. Tweak it. Facilitate application. Whatever you need to do to get him working on that. And then once you see consistent progress, then you can move on to something else. Um, we're looking for competency there, right? Uh, dialogue versus monologue, and I'm a preacher, so I'm, I'm talking to myself when I say this. Rookie counselors tend to talk too much. Actually, there, there's two extremes. There's the counselor that talks too much, and then there's the counselor that's like, but, yeah, but, and I'd really, and I, right, and they're trying to get a word in edgewise, and, and they can't get the session back. Okay, so, so be careful with those two scenarios. You gotta, you gotta keep control of the session, and if necessary, you need to practice the art of gracious interrupting. The other thing is, don't monologue the whole thing. Uh, don't be the only voice. One way you can do that is through what I call teaching with questions. Teaching with questions. So let's say that we have, uh, our Bibles open to Philippians chapter 4. That's a text we're probably all familiar with. And um, here, here's one way to teach Philippians chapter 4. Okay, let's say I'm the counselor, you're the counselee. Well, Paul here is saying uh, in these verses that we should be anxious for nothing. So that means we need to repent of our anger and worry, uh, be anxious for nothing. So, so no worry is allowed. Every occasion of anxiety is an occasion for repentance. We need to just put that off, get rid of it. And it says here, instead, we should pray about everything with supplication, giving thanksgiving. So we need to replace our, our anxiety with thankful prayer. So, so next time, that, that's one way to do teaching. 
Okay, I would suggest to you that's not the most effective way, although there's nothing wrong with that. Here's, here's the way that I teach in counseling. Let's look here at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Why don't you read that? Let the counselee read it, right? Be anxious for nothing. And then I'll say, um, what do you think he means, be anxious for nothing? And then do the thing, you know, where no, where no counselor has gone before. Be quiet. <laughs> and let your counselee wrestle with that. And don't rescue him too quickly. Let, let him sit there, you know, in the pool trying to swim for a little bit, right? And be anxious for What does that mean? Um, means I shouldn't be anxious? Yeah. How many things does Paul say here we shouldn't be anxious about? Then be quiet. Um, we shouldn't be anxious for anything. That's right. So whenever you or I are anxious or dealing with worry, what should we do? Then be quiet. You see, I'm asking questions to work through the material. And if you will do that, that's going to do three wonderful things. First of all, your counselor is going to learn the material better because they're actively engaged in the learning process rather than just listening to you and me. Second, um, they are going to be more attentive because rather than just listening, they're engaged, right? And, and they're, they're less likely to drift off because you're asking them questions that's keeping them focused on the material. The third wonderful benefit is if you do that over 6, 8, 12, 15 weeks of counseling, if that's what you do, you're training them to interpret the Bible for themselves. Does that make sense? You're, you're coaching them through that. Now, you, they may not realize that, but that's what you're doing. So rather than just monologue, dialogue, right? Engage them. Teach by asking questions um, and, uh, and engage them in that. Look, look for creative ways to keep them connected. And then another thing to do, try not to respond to every question or inquiry. Uh, you'll have some people that come and you're like, man, you're an ACBC certified counselor. That's so, can I get your autograph? That's awesome. And, um, and you, you've went to school like to learn the Bible. And, you know, I've always wondered how many angels you can get on the head of a pin. I've always, what do you, what's your, what, what do you think about that? Or, or what's your view on the Ordus Salutis? Or what do you think about, you know, who wrote the book of Hebrews or, right? And all of a sudden you're the Bible answer woman or the, you're the Bible answer man. And, and even though you're there to talk about anxiety or marriage issues, they, they want to ask you every theological question they've ever had. And that's very flattering, right? I mean, it's very, very humbling that, that they would, you know, look to us as some source of, you know, help to them. That's not why you're there. So you can say, you know what? I'd love to talk about how many angels can dance on the head of a... Actually, I don't want to talk about that, really, but we can talk about that if you want. But, but right now, let's, let's stay focused on the reasons you came for counseling, and then maybe we can talk about that, you know, when we get lunch someday or... Right? So, so stay on, on target. Uh, don't feel like you have to respond. Here, here's the other thing. Um, so let's say you're gathering data and, and you hear something. Your counselee says something that's slightly out of alignment with what the Bible teaches. What a lot of rookie counselors do is they stop the session and they say, let's talk about that. And they open their Bible and they find a verse and they correct the error. And then, you know, they come back. Okay. Now what were you saying? Um, and then, and then they say something else. Oh, wait a minute. The Bible says, and they feel like they have to respond to everything that comes out that might need some sort of biblical admonishment or correction. Don't do that. You're going to bury your poor counselee if you do that. Um, it's okay to listen and hear that they're going to have views that may be slightly out of the, out of, uh, the lane with the Bible. Write it down. Make note of that. But you're gathering data. You're still getting to know the person. And I don't feel like you have to respond to every 
uh, question or inquiry or issue that comes up. Ephesians 4.29. Ephesians 4.29. Mark it. Put it in your notes. Sketch it on your whiteboard in your counseling office. We speak according to the need of the moment. Okay? That's your question. What is the need right now? Is the need to respond? Is the need to stay on point? Is the need to let it go? Or is the need, hey, maybe I do need to address this. Okay, pray that all the time. Um, let's talk about homework. Homework is an area that, that counselors consistently say they struggle with. One of the best ways to get better at homework is to expose yourself to more experienced counselors who... Um, have had more time and more skill in developing their homework. So get to know other counselors, ask them what they do. Um, here's some of the basic mistakes I see, uh, n- not having any prepared homework. So they're trying to throw something together in the session that typically ends up being unhelpful or inadequate. Putting together inadequate or semi-relevant homework. Um, you know, this is the, you know, be nicer to my wife homework. Uh, it, it's true, but it's not helpful. So, for example, if, if I said to a husband who was learning, he's trying to learn to, you know, be more kind and gentle to his wife. If I said, I just, I just want you to work on, you know, be more nice to your wife this week. That's true. That's biblical. But it's not helpful. Because it, he already knows that that's true. The reason he's talking to you is he's not sure how to do that. Or he's stuck in some bad habits. So you want homework that is specific, relevant, um, relates particularly to the problem. Uh, years ago, I, I was talking to a married couple. And they ended up going to see a, uh, he wasn't an ACBC counselor, but, but he was a, uh, a graduate of a seminary that taught biblical counseling, so I know he had been exposed to it. And so this married couple goes, and they've got marriage issues, and so they're talking to this pastor, and he was very kind to meet with them weekly. And, and so I caught up with him a few weeks later. I said, hey, how's your counseling going with the pastor? And they said, oh, it's, it's okay. I'm like, oh, just okay? Like, what's going on? He's like, oh, yeah, you know, he's very nice. He meets with us every week. And uh, we sit down and we're studying the book of Genesis. I said, awesome. Um, are you getting to those marriage issues you told me about? Well, not, not yet, but we're hoping, you know, any day now we'll, we'll get to them. And so as I talked to him, what I found out was the pastor was meeting with them. They were doing an expository Bible study in the book of Genesis, but the pastor wasn't connecting anything in the Bible study to the marriage issues they were having. I thought, well, you know, what he was doing was good and biblical, but it wasn't adequate. It wasn't helpful in terms of matching that. And that's what we do in homework is we, we give people things to do that are biblical, but they're only semi-relevant. Again, here, here's our shotgun and rifle. You, you want your homework to be rifle-like, laser-like, even in precision. So, for example, uh, if you're giving them spiritual disciplines to do, like Bible reading and prayer time and memorization, that's great. But, but target areas that are going to be helpful in the counseling. Don't just memorize any verse. Memorize a verse that's going to help them in the area of struggle. Don't just read anywhere in the Bible. Have them reading places in the Bible that are going to be relevant for what they're dealing with. And then in application especially, rather than say, you know, just be nicer to your wife, say, this week, based on Ephesians 4.32, I want you to strive to speak with language that is kind and tenderhearted. And if you need to script it out, do that first. Because a guy will be like, okay. And then he tries to be tenderhearted and kind, and he, he doesn't, right? And so I'm, I'm serious. Guys, sometimes, and this is true for, for ladies sometimes too, but sometimes in the counseling room, I will be like, okay, sir, give it a shot. Look at your wife, and I want you to say something nice. 
uh, all right. Um, and, and it's like I have to help him with language, tone of voice, facial expression. And, uh, and what a great opportunity to do that, you know, because maybe our brother has never seen that before. Maybe the model he saw in his home was not like that. Uh, maybe his view of masculinity is, is gruff and tough and, you know, my way or the highway, I'm, I'm telling the truth and that's all that's important, right? And uh, so, so do what you need to do to be specific in helping them in homework assignments. Uh, doing assignments, right? Make sure that we're getting them doing the word and not just hearing. Homework should facilitate biblical sanctification. That's what it's for. So if your homework assignment isn't producing a growing counselee, then your homework might need to be addressed. Uh, failure to review homework. Again, I was a school teacher for years. Actually, I still am a school teacher, I guess. Um, little kids, big kids, college kids, doctoral students, kindergarten students. I've, I've done literally every age. And um, if you don't review the homework, if you don't grade the homework, most of your students won't do the homework. And plus, not only are you do, you're reviewing it for accountability, reviewing that homework, see, good homework, if you review it in the session, that becomes a big part of how you're helping them. That gives you a chance to see how are they applying, what are they understanding, what are they not understanding, where are they failing in application. So um, once counseling gets going, reviewing the homework becomes the main thing you're doing in a session, if your homework is done well. And then handle noncompliance. Uh, that's a that's a regular problem, and it needs to be handled. Um, otherwise, if you're not handling non-compliance issues, they'll stop doing the homework, and that that undercuts your progress. We also see some weaknesses in handling the scriptures. Uh, I hope that that this is goes without saying, but biblical counselors use the Bible, and. Um, I've had sessions where, you know, we're saying lots of biblical things. We're not using the Bible. So remember, you are not the authority. God is the authority. And by ministering the word of God, even if what you're saying is biblically true, by ministering the word of God, you're emphasizing that this is not between you and the counselee. This is between them and the Lord. Now, one of the things I tell my students is let the scriptures do the heavy lifting and counseling. So let's say you got somebody and, and they are they are resistant to counsel. So here, here's what I want to do, and this is how I picture it. I want to bring the word of God to bear on their topic. And I want to minister it to where it's kind of like I'm putting the Bible over them as their authority. This is what God says. This is his instruction. So there it is. The Bible is standing over us as our authority. So if you don't like what it says... If you don't want to do what it says, you understand that your problem's up there, your problem's not here. And uh, someone asked me the other day, well, what, do you, what, do you do when, uh, what do you do when somebody isn't repentant, isn't even sad about what they're doing that's sinful? I mean, I can sit there and say, you should be devastated on how you're treating your wife. What do you mean you're not even sad about it? I can do that. Or I can take the word of God and I can minister passages that demonstrate the horror and sinfulness of what that person is doing and let the scripture do the heavy lifting of bringing conviction. You know, there are times, guys, that that you have to expositorily minister the word of God to somebody into a corner, right? You're, You're counseling them into a corner, so to speak, with the word of God in order to bring conviction. Um. 
So use the Bible, use it, let the scripture do the heavy lifting. Be careful to not misinterpret passages. I think we all know the Awana verse in 2 Timothy 2.15, right? Show yourself to be an approved, uh, a workman of God, uh, an approved workman of God who does not have to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The Awana is an acronym, right? Approved workmen are not ashamed. Did you know that? Awana is an acronym, 2 Timothy 2.15. And, uh, and the point is, uh, what Paul's conveying to Timothy is that uh, it is a shameful thing to misrepresent God and his word. And um, so I'm going to say this. You can say biblically th- true things to a counselee. If those things do not derive from, your, from the text that's in front of you, you're not being a biblical counselor. Um, saying true biblical things from a text that does not teach it explicitly is not biblical counseling. That's not biblical preaching. So we want to accurately interpret the passage. Uh, in our church here, we have hermeneutics classes on how to interpret the Bible. We, we regularly uh, talk to our, our teachers and home group leaders and other people about how to do Bible interpretation because we think that's really important. Um, the meaning of the text is the message of God. So if we get the meaning wrong, we're not conveying the message of God. Uh, failure to adequately explain the text in its context. Don't, don't be a Bible roulette counselor. You, you know what I'm talking about there, right? Where, where you're, just, you're just picking a text, you're pulling a verse out of context. Uh, I remember years ago listening to the counseling uh, radio talk show. Person was, uh, a person, actually a well-known author, was uh, taking input from these callers that were calling in and telling her, her their life issues. And this one lady was talking about, you know, my husband is not not um, uh, sensitive to my needs and you know sometimes he gets angry at me and and um, it wasn't like an abuse situation or something like that it, it was garden variety marriage stuff and uh, and she took the the caller to a proverb that says do not associate with a man given to anger and encouraged her to go divorce her husband i'm going what? i about ran my car off the road you know going what are you doing and it's just a matter of taking a verse out of context. So um, be careful to explain the verse in its context and, and get it right. Uh, misapplying the text um, where uh, we know that the Pharisees were experts in misapplying the text. Jesus was constantly saying, you've, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And what Jesus is saying is the tradition of the Pharisees has misunderstood these verses. So let me correct, right? We've got to get the, the meaning of it right. Not applying the text. Counseling is not a Sunday school class where we're just teaching things. Uh, you want to spend an equal amount of time applying it. Uh, theological problems. You know, think about this. When, when you drive through Granbury and you go over the lake in town, there are two guardrails on either side of the road. And what are those guardrails designed to do? Keep you from going for a swim in the lake, in your car. They keep you on the road. Think of systematic theology as the guardrails of your counseling ministry. They keep you from veering off into theological error when you're ministering the Word of God. So having a baseline of theology is your safety net. Um, you know, we think of a, a complicated issue like forgiveness, right? And uh, if, if you don't know that forgiveness has two aspects to it, if you don't have that theology... You might mis, uh, misguide somebody. Because if you read Matthew 18, con- forgiveness is conditional on the repentance of the person. Uh, if, if you read 
uh, uh, Matthew chapter 6 and other passages, it sounds like uh, forgiveness is unilateral and unconditional, right? We're just supposed to forgive unconditionally. So if you don't have a, a good theology of forgiveness and you're just looking at one of those passages, you might tell your person, well, you need to, you need to forgive your husband regardless of whether he's repentant. Or you might say, uh, don't forgive your husband until he repents and forget that there's a, there's a heart forgiveness that is unconditional. So you got to know theology well enough to keep you on the road of biblical fidelity. And then not being prepared, don't show up to counseling and just wing it. Um, winging, it winging it counseling is uh, not our best counseling usually. Um, we talked about this earlier uh, with session one, failure to have a clear agenda. You got to know where you're going, what you're doing. And usually after a couple of sessions, what I'll do as a supervisor is I'll just kind of map out what do the next few sessions look like. Okay, so you've got an anxiety issue, you've got a depression issue, we've given them some hope, we, we've evaluated their spiritual condition. What are you going to do in the next few sessions to get them there? And one of the questions I ask my students after they've kind of gotten to know somebody is this. If counseling was successful, what does graduation look like? What do you want your counseling to look like when you graduate them? And then we'll talk about that. I think they're doing this. They're not doing this anymore. They sound like this. They're practicing this. Okay, so you got the finish line, right? We got the finish line in mind. Now let's work backward to where we're at today. How are you going to get them from here to the finish line? And they're like, oh, wow, that's helpful. And then you can kind of craft the steps. But if you're just kind of, I'm just going to go to the next session. I'm just going to you know, find another resource. You might be helping them, but you're not moving them toward the goal of where they need to be. So figure out where that is and then build a counseling agenda accordingly. You've got to be able to prioritize needs. Uh, students ask me all the time, um, there's six problems my counselor just told me. Which one do I pursue first? It's a great question, isn't it? Sometimes it, it's obvious, right? It's the crisis. It, it's the adultery that just was found out. It's the suicide attempt. You know, sometimes it's obvious, right? But other times it's not. And you're like, how do I pick? Uh, Here's usually what I tell my students. First of all, usually of those six issues, there's probably some connection between them. So rather than deal with a fruit issue, deal with a root issue. Rather than chase symptoms, address the heart issue that's producing those symptoms. And if you do that, often what will happen is you're helping them in multiple areas. So that's one strategy. Here's another strategy. Maybe you have somebody who's got six problems and they're just overwhelmed. I mean, it's all they can do to show up at the counseling. They are discouraged. They are um, lacking hope. Here's a thought. Pick the easiest thing you can help them with. I'm serious. Pick the easiest thing. And with God's grace and help, show them that there is help in the Bible for them. What's going to happen? You help them with that simple issue. They go, oh, wow, this really works. Right. God, God really is true to his word. And and now that brings hope that brings encouragement. It creates what I call counseling momentum and counseling momentum. It's just it is look just like a football game. It is just like a baseball game. The, the momentum in baseball versus the momentum in football are very different dynamics, aren't they? But you and I know when when a team gets some momentum, really great things happen. And the other team struggles to keep up until the momentum shifts. That's true in counseling as well. There's a counseling momentum of optimism, of hope, of getting in a good uh, routine. So that's what we're trying to do there in prioritizing needs. Uh, having a clear plan to address problems. 
Again, that's where we want to go. How are we going to get there? And uh, one of the things I love to do with my students is just strategize. How are we going to move the ball down the field? How are we going to get the next few yards moving toward the end zone of help there? And then uh, strategies to employ, right? Uh, the Bible is full of strategies. And um, I think the Proverbs help us with that. Uh, so we, we can see ways to do that. Uh, one of the things I love about the Proverbs is it's real creative. And uh, remember, Proverbs is a dad sitting down with his kids. And you know what kids are like when you sit down with them, right? I mean, they're looking out the window. They're looking at their Xbox. They're wanting their phone, right? When, when, when's breakfast, and they're, they're, right? They're distracted. And so what Proverbs does is very creative. You remember when Solomon says, hey, son, look out the window. Okay, dad. And he looks out the window. You see that young man standing by the street corner there? Yeah, dad. Do you know why he's standing there? No, dad. Um, he's standing there, son, because that's where the prostitutes hang out. What's that, Dad? They have a conversation. Lady shows up. She's she's dressed as a harlot, cunning in nature, right? And now now this boy is like, he's not thinking about his Xbox. He's like, whoa, this is heavy, right? This is right, and and, and that's that's what he's doing. Solomon is demonstrating how to engage people creatively. So that they pay attention to things that they need to be paying attention to. So learn from the Proverbs. Learn from what the the prophets are very creative. The apostles. Jesus was very creative in how he approached people and the questions that he asked. Um, Vessel problems. Vessel problems. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you're you're still open there from uh, the Awana verse. uh, A few verses down in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul writes this to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, some to honor and some to dishonor. Verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now, we know that God chooses to use us even in spite of us. We know that, right? God doesn't have to use us. We are imperfect people, very imperfect people. And yet God condescends in his grace and kindness to use us and even redeem our efforts to accomplish gospel purposes. And we we're thankful for that. Even though that's true, this passage says that we ought to care about being a sanctified vessel. Because God here says a sanctified vessel is the vessel that he uses. So vessel problems, what's that? Um, How are you doing in your spiritual life as the counselor? Just ask yourself that question. Um, Are you staying close to the Lord in your walk with him? Are Are you striving to fight sin in your own life? Are you memorizing scripture? Are you reading scripture? Are you, are, are you doing similar homework in your life that you and I are giving to other people? Um, I think I know the answer to this, but, but can I just ask you, do you want to be a useful vessel? I do. And scripture here reminds us that that just doesn't happen. That, that happens when we are proactive in our walk with God. So we have to think about our spiritual life. Paul tells Timothy back in the first letter, pay close attention to yourself and to what you teach. It means we prayerfully prepare. 
It means that we exemplify Christ-like character in the counseling room. Look back at the text there. Verse 23, uh, avoid foolish and ignorant speculations. Verse 24, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. That's really hard sometimes. It's really hard. And yet... One of the ways we care for people is by modeling for them in the counseling room Christ-like character. Godly speech, godly reactions. Uh, we, we keep up with our own ongoing education and growth. We, we grow as a sanctified vessel by coming to track three year after year after year. Or doing other ongoing education. Here's a question to ask your spouse. Ask a trainee that's sitting in your room. How do you come across in counseling? Do you know how you come across in counseling? Uh, Because one way that we grow is by being real self-aware of what we're doing, how we're relating, how we're caring in that. Last thing, guys, keep the main thing the main thing. It's easy to get in the nuts and bolts of counseling. It's it's easy to get all wrapped up in the details and the techniques and the homework assignments and the resources. Let's remember that the person and work of Jesus must always be the foundation of counseling. We have to connect everything back to his work. And uh, one way we do that is we, we're sure to balance gospel indicatives with gospel imperatives. And, and what I mean by that is simply this. If I'm asking a husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church, or if I'm asking a wife um, to, to strive to not provoke her children to anger and how she relates to, to them, I'm saying even though those things are true, that they need to be leaning on the person and work of Christ who lived and died and rose again and who has empowered them to walk in newness of life. And so how they relate to their spouse, how they relate to their kids is a function of walking a manner worthy of that calling with which they've been called and and to lean on Christ's work there. Like Paul tells the Philippians, work out your sanctification with fear and trembling, right? But what? It's God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. All right, guys, Uh, let me pray for us. Thanks for your attention. Uh, Father, we're grateful uh, in your love and kindness that you employ us in your service. Uh, We know that uh, we are far from perfect counselors. We have lots of things we can learn and grow in. And like any skill, Father, we want to get better. I pray that these brief reminders will help us to grow uh, to sharpen our skills, uh, and to be mindful even of our own hearts that, uh, that we can only care for people as well as we are walking with you faithfully each day. And so we, we pray, Lord, that we would um, be those that, that walk humbly with our God and that we are feeding our own souls before we seek to feed others and that we are applying the things in our own lives that we strive to teach others. But we thank you for that privilege and pray that you would grow us. We want to care for your people well. And so we pray for your mercy in that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.